Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Today we are going to finish the seventh chapter, with Hashem's help, of Hilchot Beit HaBechira. So, in the previous episode, we talked about restricted access being lifted due to technical reasons. So, going back here to our map, we talked about the idea of ritual impurity, for example, or maybe repairs that had to be made. Now, of course, the Beis Amigdash was a beautiful place. We'd only hire professional help. What do you do if there aren't any Kohanim who are capable of performing the task? Well, we said then you go with members of the tribe, take a levy. And if not, you take an ordinary Israelite. We talked about the outer courtyard yesterday as well as the actual building of structure. Today we're going back into the building. So if you want to look on this side, this is our floor plan. We're not talking about the altar or the arena in front of it. We're talking about going into the Heichal or, in theory, even into the Kodesh HaKadashim, the Holy of Holies. And today we have a choice of evils, proverbially speaking. So we have two craftspeople. They're really good. Both are Kohanim. Each is inherently disqualified from entering the Beit HaMikdash right now, or at least being involved in the service on a normative basis. This is the question. The choice of evils is, do we choose a craftsperson, a Kohen, mind you, but one who is Tamei, ritually impure, or... Do we choose a Kohen who is ritually pure but barred from engaging in the service in the Beis HaMikdash due to a mum, a disqualifying deformity? That's the background for what we're about to learn. So let's take a look inside the Rambam itself. Hilchas Beis HaBechira. We are now continuing and we'll be finishing Halacha Chav Gimel, the 23rd paragraph. The Rambam says... So what happens? We have two kohanim, Tomei Ubalmum. One's ritually impure, one has a disqualifying deformity, a blemish. But he's in a state of ritual purity. What do we do? So the Rambam says, Yikones Balmum. Now we must be talking about the building because Yikones Knisa means to enter, to go into a space. Let the deformed fellow, the one who has disqualifying deformities or a blemish, enter. Let a person who is ritually impure not enter the premises. Why? Kivan, because, after all, When it comes to ritual impurity, if the entirety of the nation or all of the Kohanim, are ritually impure, then those restrictions or limitations are going to be loosened. In fact, we would, if you will, put them aside. That's a funny read. We had a choice of evils. Who should go? 
the Balmum or the Tomei? The Rambam says, the Balmum should go. Why? Because the Tomei is permitted to serve in the Beis HaMikdash on occasion. If anything, that should be a reason why the Tomei can be the one to enter. It's difficult to understand what the Rambam is saying. In order to better understand this, I think we should take a look at the Gemara in Masechet Eruvin, which is the origin of the Salacha. The Gemara is found on Daf Kufay Ahmed Aleph. It's the last page of the tractate of Eruvin. And the Gemara reads as follows. The question was raised amongst the, the sages, the rabbis, as we say in Yiddish, Tzvishin the Yeshiva light. And this was the question they had. Tomei Ubalmum. Each has a disqualifying feature, something that prevents him from serving in the Beis HaMikdash. Eze Mehen Nichnas. Which of these two is the preferred option? Who should we choose? The Gemara records a dispute. The sages debated this. Rabbi Chia Bar Ashi said in the name of Rav, Tomei Nichnas. The person who is ritually impure, but not blemished, he should go in. Why? He's not allowed to go into the Beis HaMikdash, to perform any kind of service? And the Gemara's answer is, He is permitted on occasion to serve in the Beis HaMikdash if everybody's impure. Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar says, The one who is deformed, the person who has this blemish, should enter. Because after all, he may not be allowed to perform the avodah, the service in the Beis HaMikdash, but there are certain things that have to be eaten by the Kohanim. And just to illustrate or explain what I mean, you must know that the Gemara tells us about a korban chatas, about a sin offering, Kohanim ochlim ubailim miskaprim. The Kohen eats, and the person who brought the korban, the offering, is able to obtain Hashem's pardon. Now, how and why that works is possibly something we can't understand. But that's not the point. All of offerings are one big mystery and enigma to us. There's this idea that a Kohen has to eat this meat. And when a Kohen eats that meat, it affects the person who brought the korban. It brings him cleansing, and it repairs the broken relationship with the Creator. So the Kohen really is a Kohen, and he is allowed to eat the Kachim. A Tomei, a person who is ritually impure, is never allowed to eat Kachim. Now this is the words of the Gemara. Rashi tells us, That's because the Torah says, when it speaks about bringing a korban, in its appointed time. And the Gemara later expounds, in its appointed time. 
in its appointed time means even if there are extenuating circumstances that typically would disallow the carbon from being brought if it's appointed time, an appointment's an appointment, then it has to be kept. Afilubatum. But that's the case with ritual impurity. But the person who has a disqualifying deformity or blemish is not permitted, ever, even if it means that the korban can't be brought in his time. For we learned in the Torah Kohanim, and that's one of the names for the Medrash Halacha that accompanies the third book of the Torah, known as Sifra, Mum Bo, if he has this blemish, at lechem elokov lo yugash, yigash. He should not be the one to, so to speak, serve the meals of God. It's a euphemism. It's not to be taken literally. God doesn't have meals. But that's the way the Torah speaks about the offerings, the korbanot. And then the Gemara expounds on this, and Rashi says, is it only the daily offerings, or it includes all offerings? And it ultimately includes all offerings. So let's like, stop and think about this for a minute. The Gemara says, this is a debate. Not simple at all. Two schools of thought. One says, in the name of Rav, certainly the one who is ritually impure. Why? Because after all, the person who's ritually impure under extenuating circumstances can be allowed to bring the korban. Well, these are extenuating circumstances. If the person who's ritually impure can even bring a korban, how much more so that a person who enters the base of Mikdash now for technical reasons should be allowed to do it? The other school of thought is, of Rebbe Lazar, says, no, no. The Baumum is inherently a Kohen. There's nothing wrong with him per se. He can eat Kachim. He just can't perform some of the activities in the Beis HaMikdash. Well, this isn't one of those activities. The Rambam's a mystery. Because the Rambam's words are, he says, what should you do in a case where you have a choice of evils? He says, then in that case, choose the Balmum, by virtue of the Gemara, he should say because he's allowed to eat Kodshim. Instead, the Rambam says because he's allowed to serve in the Beis HaMikdash, the, the Tomei that is, when there's an extenuating circumstance. This is very confusing. In fact, it led some, like the Lecha Mishnah and others, to have a, a different version of the Rambam, to read the Rambam a little differently, to say that the Rambam was actually not suggesting that the blemished fellow should go and do the repairs, but rather that the Tomei should do the repairs. But that's not the verbiage we have in the Rambam. This is <laughs> what they call in the Eastern world a real Kohan, a real mystery, a riddle. How do we solve this? All right, so it goes something like this. We have a Kesef Mishnah. And the Kesef Mishnah, you know what? Before I get to the Kesef Mishnah, I want to I I share another Kohen with you, another, another riddle, another riddle. But the truth is that there's, there's something problematic about this entire question. A Balmum, a person who is blemished, who has disqualifying deformities, and this is not the place to talk about why we should look at physical deformity or blemish as, as a problem or an issue. It's, I guess, what you would call in today's day and age politically incorrect. I don't want to get into that. That's, that's a subject for a different day and, and, a, and a different time. 
let's just accept this idea that the Torah says a korban has to be brought by a person who has a certain perfection attached to him. Only a Kohen who has that perfection, he's priestly perfect, he brings the korban. All right. So the, 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 the Mepharshim and the Gemara ask a question about this whole debate. They say, what is the debate? Bringing a korban or engaging in what we call the avodah, that's one issue. Entering the Beit HaMikdash is a separate issue. Entering a sacred space is a separate issue. And so they, they say, why would the Gemara even have a question? There is no prohibition for a blemished individual to enter the base of Migdash. There's only a problem for that Kohen to perform the Avodah. Whereas a person who's ritually impure is barred from entry. It's only that this, the disallowance is superseded because of extenuating circumstances. The job has to get done. So what would be the question? The Baal Mum is not doing Avodah. The blemished fellow is going to be performing repairs. He's taking out ritual impurity. Why shouldn't he be allowed to enter? It's a very strong question. So the Mepharshim discussed this at length, and here is the kernel of their explanation. They say the truth is that there's no prohibition for a Kohen who's ritually impure to enter to take out ritual impurity because a Kohen who is pure will enter to take out ritual impurity and become impure by virtue of the impurity that he lifts. In which case, what's the difference if the Kohen enters in a state of impurity or becomes impure in the process? In other words, we're talking about an extenuating circumstance. This whole discussion is about extenuating circumstances. There's a breakdown. We need a professional. We can't find a craftsperson. We have no choice. There's ritual impurity. As we talked about in the previous episode, there was idolatry brought in by the evil predecessors of Chizkiyo. What choice did they have? So this whole thing is extenuating. And therefore, there is actually no prohibition because the prohibition doesn't apply to circumstances such as these. What then is the question? Aha. The question is, since we still have a code of conduct, since we still have a preferred kind of choice to make, where choose your situation. You have a Kohen. He's ritually impure. You have a Levi. Who should it be? You have a Kohen. He's perfect. Oh, sorry. You have a Kohen who's blemished. Should we go to the Levi? We don't have a Levi. You don't have a Levi? Well, go to a regular Yisrael. But make sure he's ritually pure. In other words, we have like a kind of a, a pecking order. So as such, because we have what we call in Hebrew a Din Kadima, who should go first? There's a, there's a hierarchy in place. This was the question of the Gemara. We know that it is permissible for a Kohen who is ritually impure to do the job if there's nobody else to do it. We know that it is permissible for the Kohen who is blemished to do the job if there's nobody else to do it. The question is what do we do in a situation where we have to choose one over the other? What would come first? 
That's the question of the Gemara. And this, of course, makes the Rambam look very strange because the Rambam seems to be favoring the opinion of Rabbi Lazar, but he brings the reasoning of his protagonist, of, of Rabbi Chia Barashi. So the Kesef Mishnah discusses this at great length. And the Kesef Mishnah says that you need to understand that there is actually another issue at play. And the other issue goes like this. This machlekes, this debate, this dispute about who should go first or second is actually predicated on another dispute, another debate that our sages had. This debate is found in Masechet Yoma. On page 6, the Gemara there records an argument between Rav Nachman and Rav Sheshet. And the argument is, when we suspend the laws of ritual impurity, the restrictions for somebody who is Tamei to be able to do things in the Beis HaMikdash, is it Hutro or Dechuya? Is it temporarily suspended? Or is it entirely released? Allow me to explain. So, here's how, here's how you have to uh, understand this. Nobody argues that the restrictions that apply to ritual impurity will apply to a situation where the korban can't be brought otherwise. Nobody argues. It's open in the Pasuk. Bimo'ado, as we just read from Rashi before, bimo'ado means in its rightful time, afilu betumah. All the sages agree. However, what they debate is the jurisprudence behind this, or if you will, the theory of this leniency, the nature of this leniency. Rav Nachman says, when a need arises, such as everybody is ritually impure, as the Rambam himself speaks about later on in the laws of Biyat HaMikdash, when everybody is ritually impure, says Rav Nachman, then the restrictions governing ritual impurity are relaxed entirely. Hutra. The word hutra comes from the term untying. So if something is tied up, you can't move it. What happens if I undo the knots? Well, then now it's been released. It was bound, and now it's been released. We were bound by these laws or limitations. Those limitations and restrictions have been released, entirely relaxed. So there is no restrictions now. Under this circumstance, those laws simply don't apply. This is the opinion of Rav Nachman. Rav Sheshis strongly disputes this. He maintains and argues that the restrictions are only duchuya. The word duchuya in Hebrew means pushed. Like pushed aside. Not rescinded entirely, but temporarily suspended. So he says, because it's put aside, it's not as if there isn't an issue here. There's a very big issue. 
What will be the difference in halacha if we say chutra or dechuya? Well, let me give you an example of how this debate affects Jewish life today. There is also a dispute in the Talmud about the nature of the permissibility to override the limitations or restrictions of Shabbat in order to save a life. The Torah says, The Torah was given to us so that we should keep ourselves alive. As the Gemara explains, it is far better to violate one Shabbat and keep many others than die keeping this Shabbat. The question, though, is, do we say that in these circumstances the laws of Shabbat do not apply at all? Or do we say these laws can be put aside or pushed aside in order for us to achieve our goals or intentions? The difference? Simple. If there's a way to do it that involves less violation of Shabbat, would that be the preferred method? If we say that the restrictions don't apply, what difference does it make? There are no restrictions. Why look for more lenient or less offensive ways to violate Shabbat? Shabbat doesn't apply here. Or, Shabbat's not hutra, Shabbat is dechuyah. Dechuyah means that we push aside only that which is necessary to be pushed aside. And that is to say, whatever we can still uphold, of course we should. This is the, the, the nature of the debate here. When we look in the Gemara and we see a dispute between Rav Chia Barashi in the name of Rav and between Rabbi Lazar of whether it is better to have a Kohen who is blemished or a Kohen is ritually impure. And Rav says, or Rav Chia says in the name of Rav, that the Tomei should be the one to do it. The Ha'ishtri. The Ha'ishtri says the Kesef Mishnah means that there is no ritual impurity. The word Ishtri in Aramaic is like the word in Hebrew, Mutar. It is permissible. There is no restriction. So because there are circumstances where there is no restriction... Ravchia says, of course the Kohen whose tummy should go in. The restrictions of Tumma do not apply here. The Kohen is ever going to be in a blemished state. He can never bring the Korban. But the Kohen, who is ritually impure, can, because those laws don't apply. The Rambam doesn't say that. He says, Shahatuma Tumma, Tumma isn't entirely rescinded. The Tumma is pushed aside. That is to say, the Kohen can perform what has to be done because he has no choice. But the law still applies. Pushing aside means it's still kind of I'm under the burden, the pressure. The law is still bearing down on me. I can just push it as far as I have to to get through and reach my destination. And as such, says the Kesef Mishnah, the Rambam is brilliantly illustrating how he follows what we call in yeshiva language a lishitose. Lishitose means that one ruling of the Rambam will line up with another ruling of the Rambam. The Rambam himself rules clearly with regard to the dispute of Rav Sheshet and Rav Nachman. The Rambam rules like Rav Sheshet. 
And he says, the laws of ritual impurity apply, but they'll be pushed, pushed or put aside under the circumstances. Shatuma duchuya, not hutra, not released, but temporarily lifted. Put aside for as long as it's necessary. And this then, says the Kesef Mishnah, is the brilliant solution of the Rambam. That is to say, the Rambam illustrates how it's not just because the person who is blemished can eat from the korban. Because then you say, well, the person who is blemished can eat from the korban. That restriction doesn't apply to him. But when it comes to Tumah, ritual impurity, in a state of extenuating circumstances, it doesn't apply to him either. So really you have six in one end, half a dozen in the other. No, says the Rambam. Because I rule like Reb Sheshes, I would favor the person who's blemished. Because the person who's blemished, when he is permitted to do his Kohanic duty, he's absolutely, 100% permitted. Not partially permitted. He isn't allowed to push aside something due to circumstances. He's absolutely permitted. Whereas when the Kohen is ritually impure, the laws ever apply but they're temporarily suspended for as long as they have to be and they're never released. And now we can understand what the Rambam is saying. Yikonez balmum means if you have to choose an evil, so to speak, if you have to favor one over the other, for sure the balmum is the preferred because the balmum, when his restrictions are lifted, they're lifted entirely or they don't apply. Whereas the person who is ritually impure those restrictions do apply. They're just superseded. But they do apply, and they are still in force. And as such, here we have this question. Who should enter the building? We're talking about going into the building. We're talking about going into penetrating this sacred space. Who should enter that sacred space? And the answer, of course, is the one to whom a restriction wouldn't apply. The restriction doesn't apply to the balmum, to the blemished fellow, at all. Whereas the person who is in a state of ritual impurity, the restriction does apply to him. Only it would be lifted temporarily. Why lift it? Go with the balmum. And so when we see it this way, all of a sudden the Rambam makes what we would call exquisite and perfect sense. So it's only a question if you don't understand the jurisprudence and the backdrop against which this halacha is being offered. And here's once again an amazing example of how the Rambam so carefully chooses his words to explain why, in fact, he must rule like the opinion of Rabbi Lazar because it follows his approach based on the other dispute that is resolved in Biyat HaMikdash when he rules like Rav Sheshet rather than Rav Nachman. So this is really beautiful and that brings us to the final halacha, the final ruling of the 23rd paragraph and the entire chapter. So let's talk about going in. How should we go in? Now this halacha is based on the words of the Tosefta. The Tosefta, which we talked about previously, is found in the first chapter of Mesechet Kelim. Let me read to you the words of the Tosefta 
And then we'll take a look at the words of the Rambam. You will notice a slight discrepancy. The Tosefta says, so now that we've resolved who should go, the question becomes, how should they go? Mitzvah sheyikonsu b'tevot. The mitzvah is that they should enter in crates, boxes of sorts. Now, how do you enter in a box or a crate? That's a good question. So this is discussed in a number of places. It's actually described in detail in Mesechet Midot. And over there we hear about the upper story again. That was two days ago's story. Two episodes ago we talked about the upper story. Now the upper story is the chamber that occupied the top half of this massive structure. It turns out that in Mesechot Midot we learn that above the Holy of Holies there were multiple entry points. I guess you call them hatches. So you could enter that upper chamber and then you could be lowered in a crate, in a box. And you'd do your job You'd fix whatever had to be fixed, take whatever had to be taken out, and then be lifted out of there. Now, of course, the question is, why are you going through all this trouble? A person who's in a state of ritual impurity, for example, is not allowed to enter in a crate or by foot. There really is no difference. You're not allowed to be in that airspace. The Israelite, for example, is never allowed to be there. It doesn't make a difference if he's crated, boxed, or walking on two feet. The Rambam actually doesn't explain this. However, the Gemara tells us that the reason for this is that their eyes should not be sated, if you will, by the beauty of the Beis HaMikdash. People love to see captivating, exquisite, beautiful, gorgeous things. It's delightful to look at beautiful things, but highly inappropriate. Here's a simple example that probably anybody can relate to. Men have an eye for female beauty. It's not permitted. The Torah says you're not allowed to gaze at somebody else's wife. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. I, I was just looking at her. Yeah, that's a sin. You're not allowed to. So just as we're not allowed to gaze at somebody else's wife, it's inappropriate. We're not allowed to gaze at the beauty of the Beis HaMikdash. It's inappropriate. That belongs to Hashem. It's not for you to look at. Now, a human being is a human being. People notice beauty. Yes, of course. But we don't gaze excessively. It becomes very difficult when a person is lowered into or walks into an extraordinarily beautiful building. He looks around and his eyes are captivated. It's like overwhelming. It's like, wow. What a beautiful place. So we have a solution. Put the guy in a crate. He's kind of sealed on three sides. All he can see is forward. So he can focus on what he's doing and nothing else. That's why it's the ideal way to do it. So the, the Tesefta says, Mitzvah she konsu betevis. Very interestingly, the Rambam says, V'chol hanichnosen leheichal. So we're talking about the building now, not the outside, going into the heichal to fix. 
So going into the Hechachol, Anichnosim, Yikonsu Beteves, they should enter. This is the way they should enter. So it's very interesting how the Rambam words it differently. He doesn't say, Mitzvah Sheikonsu, it's more appropriate. He says, Halacha, Hanichnosim Lahechol, Yikonsu. This is the ruling. The Tesefta speaks about appropriateness. The Rambam is laying down the law. And he says, Im ancient tevot, what if there are no crates? Or, for whatever reason, i Maybe it's the kind of repair that needs a little wiggle room. It simply can't be done in a box. Put the guy in the box, you're going to have lousy repairs. Let him walk in and do what he has to do. Suppose it's a repair on the floor. What, are you going to hang him upside down? It's not going to work. So in that case... The Rambam says, Yikonsu bedech psochim. Then you can use the grand entrance. You don't make a grand entrance, but you use the grand entrance way. You use the regular door, and you enter and do what has to be done. So, for example, imagine, if you will, a doctor whose job is to perform surgery. He's an OBGYN. He's delivering a baby. He says, oh, I can't look at that. I'm not allowed to look. They'll be like, dude, you got to deliver this baby. Are you kidding? This is not the time for you to worry about what you're looking and not looking at. This time for you to do your job. It's called be a professional. So, just as a doctor has to do his job, he's a professional. This person's a professional. He's not here on a sightseeing tour of the Beit HaMikdash. He's here to do what has to be done and get out as quickly as he can. So the Ramam says, of course, human beings are human beings. We don't have to strip a person because there's a tiny part of the person that has to be worked on. But if a person, if you have a full body situation, then there's no choice. If you can zero in on what has to be fixed in the base of Migdash, sure, that's the better way to go. If you can't, do the job and do it well. Now the Kesef Mishnah raises a very interesting question here. He says, it's true. It's true that the Gemara tells us and this is found in Mesechet Midot. Lulin hoya psuchin ba'aliyah. There were these hatchways that were opened in the upper story. Lebeit kodesh hakadoshim. To the Holy of Holies. That means the upper storeway from the Holy of Holies. That's the back end of this building. And so the Kesef Mishnah quoting the fourth chapter of Mesechet Midot says, it's a Mishnah. They would lower the workers, the craftspeople, in these crates. Why? So that the eyes wouldn't be sated. Now the word yozunu can be understood as the terminology of mazon. Mazon means food or satiation. Sometimes people enjoy or are delighted by things they see. They forget their hunger. They're kind of saturated with the experience. But your word yazunu is also the same term that's used for licentiousness. And that's why I thought of that metaphor. It's an easy metaphor for people to relate to. So because that's not the case, inappropriate. It's almost like a form of licentiousness to gaze at something that's so sacred. As such, the Rambam's telling us that this is the ideal way to go in. However, the Kesef Mishnah raises a big question. He says, 
the Mishnah Mesechet Midot is talking about the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum. And the upper story is the very upper story that we talked about just two episodes ago. The Rambam, however, mentions nothing about an upper story. The Rambam talks about the Hechal, the entire area, both the regular sanctum as well as the inner sanctum. Anywhere in this building, you start from the upper story and you make your way down. Now, you'll remember I shared with you yesterday that there really wasn't a distinction between the upper story over the Kodesh HaKadoshim and the upper story over the rest of the Hechal. It was all one big chamber. There was a lattice work that made a division where the division was below, and there was a curtain hanging. But inherently, it's one room. So the Kesav Mishnah says, where did the Ramam get that from? The Mishnah only talks about the Kodesh HaKadoshim. So, I'm sure the Kesef Mishnah's question is a very good question, but I don't fully understand it. I'll tell you why. Because the Tosefta says, Mitzvashi konsu betevot. And the Tosefta isn't talking about the Holy of Holies. Now, it's true. It doesn't tell us how you get in with crates. The idea of lulin, of these hatches or hatchways, is talked about in Mesechet Mido. True, true enough. But, I mean, when we say, Mitzvashi konsu betevot, it doesn't mention Holy of Holies. Maybe the Kesef Mishnah is bothered by the fact that the only time we have explicit instructions about being lowered in is by the Holy of Holies. At any rate, it is clear. He says, where did the Rambam get this from? That's his language. He says, the Rambam talks about the Heichel, and he says, since the Rambam is talking about, the Mishnah is talking, Kodesh HaKadoshim, Amru, V'lo Beheichel, the Rambam who explicitly says, we're talking about entering into the Heichel, Minayin lo, where did he get this halacha from? Well, we don't have an answer to that question, but we do know that when it comes to entering the Heichal, if there's no other way, you are allowed to walk in. And this, of course, can be seen in the scripture itself. We talked about this a couple of days ago. In previous episodes, we mentioned that the Divra Hayom in Beis, the 29th chapter of Chronicles 2, details Chizkiyohu's purification of the Beit HaMikdash. And there in verse 16 it says, Vayavohu ha-Kohanim lepnima Beit Hashem letaher. The Kohanim entered the interior of the house of Hashem. The interior in all likelihood means this area, the Hechal, although it could even mean the Kodesh HaKadashim. And they took out these, the Tumah, the ritual impurity, which is a reference to the concept of the idolatry or the iconography that was left there. Bottom line is, we have a clear pasuk, a clear verse that speaks to us about going in to the Beis HaMikdash. So as they say, do what you got to do. We have a sacred duty and responsibility to ensure that our Mikdash, Hashem's holy home, is always in a state of perfect, exquisite, pristine condition. And that supersedes everything else. So whilst we try our best to do it in a manner that is respectful of the limitations and restrictions that are about the awe that we are supposed to have for the Beis HaMikdash, nothing will supersede getting the job done and ensuring that the Beis HaMikdash is as beautiful as it can and should be. So I have a question here. The Book of Kings, Chizkiel's father closed off the entrances 
to his palace unless you walk to yes, but that's I, I, I don't see really how there's a question about the base of Migdash. Skippy wants to know, can you put holes in the crate for air, or would you have to be left open? Wait, <laughs> Skippy, first of all, what do you think? You got to strangle the guy? But it's much more than holes for air. You have to do the work. You have to do the job. So it wouldn't just be a question about hole for air. You, you have a job to do. You, you need room to work. So clearly, these crates would be covered on three sides, and you would be able to breathe without a question. Not only can you breathe, you can see, and you can actually do work. And this, my dear friends, concludes the seventh chapter of Hilchot Beis HaBechira. Please join me next week as we will, Be'ezrat Hashem, begin the eighth and the final chapter of Hilchot Beis HaBechira, continuing to learn about Hashem's chosen home as we pray that our efforts to study about the Beis HaMikdash should be received by Hashem as an act of devotion and love, considered by Hashem as participating in the process of its rebuilding, and may we be zoiche, may we merit to see the third base Hamigdash rise before our very eyes, Bimheira, will be Amenu. Speedily, and in our days, Amen. Thank you so much for joining me.